Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, Episode 70. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he has not seen. This week, we watched the 2000 movie Almost Famous. So, Charles, tell us about it. Almost Famous is about a high school kid who wants to be a rock journalist. He gets a big break when he's hired by Rolling Stone to follow this local band, or not a local band, but like Local-ish. an up- uprising yeah. rising band named Stillwater. And so he kind of follows them around on tour and tries to interview one of the main members of the band. Um, and stuff happens to the band and he keeps not getting like the information he needs for his article. In the end, he writes the article and the band denies it, but then they decide to re not deny it i can't think of the right word all of a sudden they decide to confirm the quotes again at the end and he gets his article out yes i I lost my my train well well put um and there's like kind of a love triangle with one of the band's groupies band-aids yeah they don't want to call themselves groupies they call themselves band-aids um, but I can't just use that term because if you haven't seen the movie, you wouldn't know what that is. I, I understand, yes. Um, and there's there's kind of a love triangle there, um, but I think it would be too verbose to explain that all the way through. So that's that is fair. Um, this was was my selection. It was uh, for almost famous, uh, keeping in theme with last week. First uh, Cameron Crowe movie we've done. Yes, and probably his best one. Um, Definitely I, his best one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not even close. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly his best one. Um, I love this movie. I, I think it is a just an open-hearted, warm, friendly, welcoming movie. I think it is just so such a generous film and just wears its heart on its sleeve. And it 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 feels like a joyful experience every time I watch it. I think it 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 speaks to what the the very best of what fandom can be. Uh, the very the very best of like what draws people together around the things and the the work and the art and the culture that they love, um, and I think it completely captures that. and And I, uh, I I love it every time I watch it. I've seen this movie numerous times um, at this point, and it's just a, a pure joy every every single time. Um, so, what do you think of this one, Crossman? Yeah, I went into this wanting to not like this movie, and there's many reasons that why you not? why it shouldn't work, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of corny. It's like a dad rock movie. Yeah. Uh, Literally, it's about 70s rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a charming film. Like, yeah. I I liked it yeah, a lot. It's really hard to decide. It even really uses hard. the like the dad rock well. Right. It's so yeah. sincere about it. Right? Yeah, like, it's like very endearing. Yeah, like Cameron yeah. Crowe's affection for this era. And like, I mean, it's a semi-autobiographical work. Like he actually did this in, to some degree. Like he was a very young reporter for yeah. Rolling Stone, it's, for multiple bands. It's closest to him following the Allman Brothers, apparently. Yes, the Allman Brothers yeah. and also the Who, apparent, uh, evidently. But the first one was Allman Brothers, which is why they're kind of like a, a southern rock band that he's yeah, tracking like still, with here. Still Water is like close to Allman. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they even dress up the Billy Crudup character so he kind of looks like Greg Allman. Like he has the, <laughs> he has the mustache and yeah. everything. It's uh, a pretty common like, look yeah, that kind of band. That's the other side of it. But... um. Yeah, so it's it's clearly just a, a work of love from Cameron Crowe, and it works. And it the events in the totally movie works. are, a lot of which are based on re- real things. The plane thing actually happened, apparently. Uh, so did the roof jump into a pool? Yes. Uh, that was uh, Zeppelin, right? Uh, I thought it was one of the Allman brothers. Okay, maybe. But um, <laughs> Greg? One of them. I think yeah, <laughs> Greg's the famous one, I said think. that he'd... I, I might be misremembering this, and this is just like straight up in a Wikipedia article okay. about the movie, but... I think it was Greg Allman who said, I don't remember that, but it's like, it sounds like it. <laughs> sounds like it probably yeah, happened. Yeah, it sounds like it <laughs> yeah, happened. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's plausible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not going to deny it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the, this movie just, it feels so honest to me and just, uh, yeah. it, it, it wears its heart on its sleeve. And I, I love that about it. Um, how'd this one land for you, Charles? I really liked the beginning of the movie. Me it too. like really grabbed me immediately. Like, uh, you immediately get. Um, a feel for the main character's passion for music. Uh, and then he has that great discussion with Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, about music. Lester and Banks, and who yeah. was a real person. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, Lester Banks is like considered one of the great rock journalists. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
and then like when he first meets the band and gets in with them, like that's such a like, good I love all those yeah. sequences. They have they really show the passion behind all the members of the movie. Um, but I do feel like the movie felt like it was meandering a bit as it continued. Um, it felt like it kind of lost its way for me, where it, it didn't seem like much was really happening. He just kept trying to interview Russell, and then something would interrupt them, right? And, like, it didn't really feel like the story was moving forward in that way. It's just, like, the same thing happening multiple times. Um, and so that got... That started to, like, make me lose my interest in the movie. Yeah, I think eventually the article becomes more a framing device than the actual, the actual narrative propulsion of the film, right? Because, mm. like, that's how we get into it, and that's how that's the excuse for us being around this band as they tour around. Uh, but I think the actual narrative pulse of it is the conflict within the band itself, between uh, the, the classic conflict between the lead singer and the guitarist, and just how the Penny Lane character fits in with all of it. Because, um, and I think that how the, our lead character, uh, William, interacts with her, and how Russell, the lead singer, Billy Crudup character, interacts interact with her, it really is the foundational relationship of the film. And I think that's what the later part, part of the film is trying to draw out, is how that relationship speaks to the events that are going on, but also the themes and like really what the film is about. Because I think that once you understand how those three characters are interacting with one another, you can really draw out some of what this film is trying to say in, in a meaningful way. Yeah, I um, mean, I guess part of my problem was that those two main relationships, I didn't feel like they were really well fleshed out on screen. Uh, or like well discussed or covered because like they talk about how Russell considers himself to be above the other members of the band mm -hmm. and they, they say that a bunch of times but I never could see that in their relationships with each other I never felt like it was really displayed like they don't show when they're playing music uh, him like giving that impression off or anything like that I never got that impression from them yeah I think it's we're supposed to be seeing this so much from William's perspective right so like we're absorbing it, it from a limited view right it's because it, the movie's so much about aging and this this coming of age story yeah. that we're supposed to be taking in these narratives as an observer right and I think I like that about it and I think that that drives home this idea of like you being on, like him being on an adventure, right? And you being on this adventure with him. And I, I like that about the film. I don't know. How do these relationships feel to you, Crossman? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the way that I read the like in, inter band jealousy is um, just that like outside forces have kind of chosen this guy as like he's the one that we want to pay attention to. Yeah. And that's like what causes the tension in the band not so much that like mm -hmm. he's he, a prima donna but more so that like he doesn't like reject that like outside attention and that's like what causes friction within the band yeah it, it, yeah. it so yeah maybe the reason that we don't see this that see the russell character like elevating himself is because he's not right <laughs> and like other and like you say other people are trying to yeah so it, it's not there because it is actually not there um but you still see like little hints of it in his ethos, I think, right? So like he had, when he has that conversation relatively early in the movie with William, where he talks about how, like he has, he's a better musician than everybody else, right? And he says that to William. He's like, I know I'm better. I don't want to tell the other guys, but I know that I'm just a better. I've advanced beyond them as a musician, right? And he has the moment where he does acid, like the the famous line of this movie, and he gets on the roof and he says, "I'm a golden god," right? Like that is obviously a very egotistical thing to say. Um, and so I think you see these little hints of it. Um, and he probably denies it in himself to a certain degree and probably doesn't actually bring it to the band. But I think if you believe that enough, it's going to come out in, in your relationships and in your, your interaction with uh, the people around you. Um, and that's kind of what the movie's doing here, I think. Yeah, I think the movie's also interesting in that they're like, <laughs> it's not following around like, the best band in the world right. they're just like kind of a mid-tier band and that's kind of what's like charming about it actually is they're not like rock gods they're just like okay rockers <laughs> right and like yeah. but they're still like interesting adventure to like be had there right which i yeah. think makes it more interesting right right because like, they're not just like they have an, there's they have something to accomplish successful. still there, there are challenges there are yeah. obstacles for them 
and like it, it would have been easy to, I think, tweak the script a bit and make it like the Black Sabbath biopic or something. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. they're opening for Sabbath. They're not actually Sabbath, right? And that doesn't sound like it's good a movie. Like I, I would rather see this one. Well, yeah, this movie's also not interested in looking into like the major downsides of rock, which is like what you might get into if you follow well, Black if Sabbath. If you're being honest about it, it is. Yeah, yeah. Whereas <laughs> um, this movie's like they do drugs, but they're not like they're not like punished by it. There's like no like alcoholism like depicted in the movie or like. Yeah, or the, like no like punishment for yeah. The only character that's punished is Penny Lane being addiction. Yeah, right. Like she has her, oh, she, yeah. she has an overdose. She has to have her stomach pumped. Right. Yeah. Um, the the band themselves is not like the the punishment that the band suffers is that they have to go through the uncomfortableness of learning to be honest with one another. Which is I think what this movie is really about. It's about the value of honesty and sincerity and you know meaning it. Right, and I think that we see that theme recur over and over and over again. And the climax of the movie is the plane scene where they all like yes, spill their guts because <laughs> yeah, they think they're going to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that that's on purpose. But you, you see it over and over again. Like when um, Russell goes to the party in Topeka, he goes to that party because he wants to find people that are real, right? And he finds and he seeks out these real Topekans to to party with, right? Like the the major conflict for William at the end of the movie is that the band had lied about what had actually happened and that the therefore Rolling Stone thought that William was a liar and that is resolved mm-hmm. by Russell coming to his home and telling the truth right and yeah. being honest with them right you have the, this Penny Lane character who is lying about her name right and and lying about the relationship with Russell because he actually has a wife right so I think over and over again it, it, it's this movie about balancing deception with honesty and then overlying all of that is the requirement to be honest when you're you're playing music and that creating any kind of art is in, with quality is a, a, an act of, of honesty and courage. Yeah. Further on that theme is um, Lester Lester Bangs, Philip Seymour Hoffman's yes. character, whose major advice the character is like, just like, don't be friends with these people, mm-hmm. just like tell the truth. Yeah, exactly. Which is very yeah. classic journalistic advice. Which advice, would be right? the yeah. the best thing he could do, like as a friend to these to, to them. Right. It's certainly yeah. the best thing he could do as a journalist for the community at large. Right. Yeah. Is to to tell to talk about what's actually going on. Um, and I think that that's what I think holds this movie together. Like that's the the bright line connective tissue for everything. Is it's it always comes back to tell the truth, tell the truth, be honest. Philip Seymour Hoffman's only in the for like a few scenes, like four, yeah, maybe. He, yeah, he apparently and, he, his uh, his work schedule for this movie was very brief, like two days. Yeah, and, yeah. and he had the flu the <laughs> that, whole time. Oh yeah, so he was probably miserable for this Didn't entire shoot. Like yeah, exactly. He's a good actor. Yeah, uh, and his scenes are great. They frame yeah. yep. the rest of the movie so well. He's so magnetic. A yeah. lot of it's just like him talking on the phone. So like he wasn't even like acting against him in a room. Yeah, yeah, him in a room, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. my favorite moment with that character yeah. is when he's at the beginning when he's talking to William and they're like on a street corner in San Francisco somewhere and he's like, well. Kid, I gotta, I gotta get going. I can't hang around with all my adoring fans all day. And then it cuts to the next scene, and they're just like in a diner yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. It's like clearly you didn't really have anywhere to be. <laughs> like, this guy's got time to hear some the good. Mo- the movie did a great yeah. job with like cut humor. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of timing jokes and stuff like that. I used to listen to Jim Deirogatis's podcast. Um, I don't know what that is. It's it's a music podcast. So Jim Deirogatis is based in Chicago. He did it with another music reviewer. Mm-hmm whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but there, the intro to that podcast had a clip of the interview that the kid does at the end oh, with, okay. with Russell. Yeah. And it's the line where he's like, what do you like about music? And he's like, to begin with everything. And it's like, it's cut with like a bunch of other like mm-hmm. music songs. Very charming. Um, Jim Deirogatis is most famous for being the journalist that has like uncovered all the weird stuff about R. Kelly. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, he's the one that like initially like broke Interesting. That, that story and has been following the story for a long time. Yeah. Which becomes bigger than just music journalism at that point. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but his hero is Lester Bangs, and on that podcast, he talks about Lester Bangs all the, all the time. Okay. So, I hadn't seen this movie for a long time, like even since college, I think. And um, 
I was misremembering it. I thought it was like about Lester Banks, and then the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like nope. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I thought like maybe the kid was Lester Banks, nope. and then I was like, oh no, he's like the older like mentor character in this. Yeah, Lester Banks is a really interesting guy. And I don't know much about him at all. He, he died in the early '80s of like a overdose of like sleeping meds and like alcohol and, and something else. But he's within the like rock journalism community he's like the guy hmm. he's you know he's like the picasso of, of the media no, like the pauline kale of of rock journalism yeah yeah because yeah. okay. he was like he wrote for cream which they reference in the movie and he wrote for rolling stone for a while too and okay yeah. i wasn't sure how much of it was fictional because like so Stowar all that is fictional. part is is real okay yeah or yeah. at least like you know, it's real as like a movie. It's realish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Cameron Crowe like did know him and like was able to write for Green because uh, of that. Yeah. Right. So like all that is quote unquote true. Apparently so, the the yeah. Rolling Stones dude, the Asian dude is a real reporter. I looked okay. him up because the actor looked familiar. He's on The Expanse. Yeah. Uh, that's why you look familiar. Got now. it. But uh, I looked him up and it's a real guy. Huh. And, and there's yeah. also speaking of the Rolling Stone people in this movie, there's a blink and you miss it performance from Rain Wilson. As like, yeah, <laughs> as, I definitely recognized him there. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, oh look at that guy. Who's uh, doesn't have any like real lines in the movie, <laughs> but his like physical acting is <laughs> very funny. Just <laughs> so many bizarre yeah. expressions. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're like, we'll offer you and Rain Wilson just because <laughs> like a thumbs down, yeah, seven hundred dollars. Yeah, when what well, Lester was offering him like thirty five before that, yeah. and yeah. it's like so going down to seven hundred. Um, yeah. That was another interesting thing about this movie is the cultural cachet that Rolling Stone has. Right, because we look. You look at Rolling Stone now, and it's like this old people magazine, <laughs> right? Like they, everything they talk about is kind I of. I still feel like people mention Rolling Stone. Th now. They do, but it's not a trendsetter. It still feels like a phrase that rolls off the tongue. Right, like, on Rolling Stone. The only thing I read in is Matt Taibbi. Exactly, like they're more well known for. They're more impactful regarding their their political journalism more than their. And music journalism. Mostly because of Matt Taibbi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, where it feels like back in the 70s, they were the equivalent of like Pitchfork or something, where they were like actually setting trends and actually identifying new acts. So, so Pitchfork is the new Rolling Stone, you're saying? Not anymore. It, I mean, Pitchfork's like yeah, a, not even that? Early aughts, like. Okay. Right. Like, when I was in college and paying closer attention to popular music, <laughs> Pitchfork was the Well, they were, they were like the classic Pitchfork article is like, Let's talk about this album that everybody thinks is terrible and it's actually good. Right. Or like, or they'll trash the album that like everybody likes. Yeah, right. That's, that's, it's classic hipster type of stuff, but it was yeah. very much of that culture. Right? It was the driving force of like hipster music. Right. I remember I saw I saw at one point someone tracked yeah. like they were looking at Spotify or iTunes plays or something like that based on a geography and compared it against uh, Pitchfork reviews. And like, as soon as Pitchfork gave something a positive review, you saw a ton of plays in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles for that album <laughs> yeah, yeah. on whatever the streaming service well, was. Well, a lot of people live in those places. Right, but like relative to, the, the, but it was tracking with Pitchfork reviews specifically is the point, right? So like these places where the cool people live, yeah. right, that want to listen to the cool music, <laughs> that's the spot they're looking at is Pitchfork. Uh, or at least that's the argument that this chunk of data was making. Um, the, the two bands I associate most with them are like Modest Mouse and The Strokes. Like yeah. It's like that era of music. Well, and Radiohead. And Radiohead. Think, very much Radiohead. Like they, <laughs> they have like a, an infamous Radiohead review that is just fucking incoherent. And like, where the guy's trying to make Radiohead sound like the fucking Rites of Spring or something. And you, it doesn't make any sense. Um, which is like peach, peak pitchfork. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, Modest Mouse for sure also. Radiohead, um, and I like Modest Mouse. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> I like that song. Float on. I that remember the... listening to that album, just being like, "What is this? Like, <laughs> this is like nothing was, like the that one." That was their sellout album. <laughs> that was, that's when they got normal. <laughs> um, in any event, uh, you said you like the beginning of this movie, so I guess we can we can talk about that because the beginning of this movie is great, um, and I think yeah, part of the. What makes it so great is is uh, a lot of things, but Frances McDormand especially as, yeah, as sure. the mother character. Like that is such a complicated character to play, and I think it would be so easy for a lesser actor to make her come off as very severe and domineering. But, yeah, but she's not. She's not in this movie. I think that she finds this loving chord of the character that works so well, um, and makes it so much 
more rich and more complex um, than it might otherwise be. Um, so what do you think of McDermott, everybody? Yeah, I mean, I was super impressed by her performance because, I mean, it's just what you mentioned, right? Because, like, she seemed stifling, but at the same time, very loving. So, you like, you know that she's kind of doing it for your sake. Right. Um, but at the same time, it kind of sucks to have that mom that's yelling, don't do drugs while you're trying to be cool at a concert. <laughs> right. right, but on the other hand, you used to have the mom that's letting you go to the Black Sabbath concert yeah, by no, yourself, certainly. right? <laughs> and, like, she kind of reminded me of um, the mother in Lady Bird, but, like... Sure. More on the nicer side of the spectrum. Yeah, the Lady Bird less, was, less abrasive, was but it's mean. a similar dynamic um, where she can be like both rough and loving at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and you you have an almost a comical aversion to rock and roll. Like I like that when the Zoe, <laughs> the Zoe Deschanel character is sneaking an album into the house. Yeah. that's you know a scary rock and roll that's going to poison. And it's there, Simon and it's Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel. The, yeah, that's that's the hard rock that's going to you know uh, <laughs> destroy her children. Um, and I, I I found that pretty amusing. Um, yeah, she's great. My favorite scene is the where she's like at work. When she's like teaching a college class, oh, yeah. and then yeah. stops in the middle of the class and just says, "Rockers have kidnapped my son." Rockers have kidnapped yeah. my son. Yeah, and then just like leaves. And then, and then the student is like really paying attention, like writes it down. Yeah, like the, we get two reactions. We get like the the black, the only black guy in the movie um, who is like really confused and surprised by this, and the one girl who's paying super close attention and writes it down like it's going to be on the test. And uh, that, yeah, that was funny. Um, the other moment I like is when she gets. Um, Russell on the phone finally and gives yeah. him like this speech about how she he, she needs him to take care of her son to make sure he doesn't do anything bad and then after that he has that great line like, your mom really freaked me out man <laughs> like, people, people said that multiple times yeah. during the movie and now you get to see that first yeah that was uh, I like that a lot and like Billy Crudup just nails that line your mom really freaked me out he, he's like in a daze for the rest of that day <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like that was really good um, she, she is so so great in this movie um, and I think that it would because she's such a grounding force, right? Like, I think you need something to pull William back home and to make this feel like something fleeting, right? Like, because if, if we're watching William's story unfold, it's still that this is just his life now, and he's going to mm-hmm. be the guy that follows around rock stars forever and, like, skip school. Like, the, the movie doesn't have that whimsical feel to it, right? Yeah. Like, that, that it's something that's going to be going away, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's really important to what's going on here and really important to the, the story that they're selling, but they also can't make the thing that's pulling him back terrible, yeah. right? It has to be something that you are okay returning to that feels comfortable, maybe more confining than you like, but still a home. Yeah. And I think that, that the, the performance just nails that really careful balance that's that's critical for this movie is striking the tone that it needs to to tell the story that it's trying to tell, um, and yeah, that that they cast very well in that role. It was perfect. Yeah, this movie didn't do very well when it came out, which is stunning. It lost a lot of money. I don't understand that. It seems like such a crowd pleaser. Like yeah, the, there's so much here. Like it it has a popular music that people that go to movies like, right? Like it's the soundtrack won a Grammy. Yeah, nice. not in, yeah. unjustly like it's a great soundtrack and it, it, I, I don't understand why this movie wasn't a huge smash hit it feels like it should be yeah I mean it's got great actors in it great performances over and over again still like pretty charming yeah a, a buzzy director right like young guy coming out doing his thing yeah. right like easy story to, to, to pitch people on right like it's band on the road you know it's your childhood <laughs> right like yeah it's like a go perfectly time for like gen x and like older millennials to watch it because yeah. it came out in 2000 yes so like i saw this in college mm-hmm. that's about the time that you like watch this movie right it's like a donnie darko experience <laughs> yeah. yeah have you seen donnie darko charles i have okay okay i did yeah. not i did not like that <laughs> it's fine uh, it's fine his follow-up film is bonkers which one's that remind me um something chronicles it's about like the end of the world Oh, uh, Southland Tales. Southland Tales. Yeah, that was that guy. 
Um, Holy yes. crap. That movie is mine. Have you seen South of Tales? I've not heard of it. <laughs> we shouldn't know it will listen to that episode because <laughs> no one's seen that movie. <laughs> that movie I, I went out of my way to see it last year. That, along with it. this movie, Southland Tales has one of the best musical moments ever put to film. And it's when Justin Timberlake does uh, what? the Killers song. Yes. That is so, that is fucking mind-blowing. I love, love that yeah. scene. He does the, um, all these things that I've done. The I got soul, I'm not, but I'm not a soldier song from the Killers. And he's doing like a karaoke version of it, essentially. Yeah, and, he, and it's like this, yeah. he, and he's like strutting through like a, I don't know, a hangar or something, and it's so good, so good. One of, one of yeah. the strangest movies I've seen, but the surprisingly relevant to like our moment. It's worth like a rewatch because it's great. This is like my Pitchfork article about Southland <laughs> yeah. Tales. We're yeah. worth a rewatch because it's like. Surprisingly prescient to our current moment. Yeah, well, and also worth the re- rewatch because it's really good. I believe the, like, The Rock becomes president in that movie. Or, like, The Rock's in the movie and he's yes, like... Is. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hell of a cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, South and Tail is a, is a good movie. Crazy. Um, anyways. Um, yeah, this, this is, like, very much like a I saw it in college movie for, like, millennials, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was too young for it when it came out. I do remember the posters everywhere because it's a very like distinctive poster. Yes. Yeah, it's just got like the Ray Bans. Yeah. It's Penny Lane, Penny Lane with the Ray Bans. Yeah. yeah. And then you can like see like their the, reflection. The like, hyper close Yeah, I never yeah. had any idea what the movie was about, but I remember the posters very distinctly. Yeah, I did not see it when it came out. I think I was probably too young for it too. I would have been in like seventh grade, I think, in 2000. But um, I saw it. I, th- I think I saw it before college. I think I must have seen this in high school. Yeah. And yeah, I was immediately fell in love with it and have seen it numerous times since then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. This m- movie, um, Penny Penny Lane is not treated well in the movie, but I think the movie's like very sympathetic to the groupies. Yes. And her but, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I was watching for it on this watch because we know that Cameron Crowe is the originator of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like that. That term was coined for one of his movies, um, and so I was watching for that in in this watch. And I think that it there's more to her than than what we see in Elizabeth Town or Garden State. Even just like the other band aids, as they call themselves, yes. are like they're also like sympathetic characters and like fairly well fleshed out as well. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that the the Penny yeah. Lane character is well, a really excellently cast. Right, because I I think that Kate Hudson, on paper, what that role calls for is a young person, right? That's like late teens, a little bit earlier than William. But what they find in Kate Hudson is someone who melds youth and wisdom. Like there's this, yeah, I can see that. There's like this experience to this character. She's got the emotional wisdom, right? Exactly. That that she she carries a weight with her that isn't a burden, but comes across as like the, she's drawing on some sort of ancient truths, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you see it, even just in her look, in her face, she, she looks a little bit older with while still maintaining this youthfulness. And it, it's just pitch perfect as like this shamanistic rock and roll guide for the William character. I, I, I love that performance and I think that it worked yeah. especially well here. It, it doesn't really, the movie like doesn't like slut shame the characters no. and when they're used by the band. It's a the, bad thing. Yeah, it's a bad thing and the band members get like punished for doing right. well, that. Well, it, it's specifically the worst thing that they do. Yeah. It, that, that's how yeah. it's portrayed. Like when, when he yeah. sells her for 50 bucks and a, can of, and a case of Heineken, that's that's his low point, right? Like that's mm. when he has reached the nadir of his ethics. Yeah, um, and that matters, right? Like that that Cameron Crowe uh, made that decision. Yeah, it's they they're almost like more sympathetic to the band aids than the band themselves, because sure. the band are kind of come off as like kind of like doofy. Like um, they don't seem intelligent. They're just. Yeah, they yeah. make a bunch they're of like, they're they're like, Basically, two of them talk yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. They, you're right. Well, the, the drummer has literally one line. Yeah. And it's when the plane is crashing yeah. and he comes out of the closet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and, it. And, like, the manager is shown as being, like, fairly incompetent. Right. Because he's just his friend from, from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. They, 
They bring oh, yeah, in from Troy, Michigan. That's where yes. I was born. Oh, right. I, I just wanted true. to get that one. Okay, out. there we go. They, they, yeah, Michigan. You never, I never hear Troy mentioned anywhere. Well, now, now yeah. you have. And yeah. They bring in a surprisingly disgusting Jimmy Fallon late into the movie. Yes, he yeah. was very distracting. Yeah, because he's Jimmy. Fallon. I can only see Jimmy Fallon, mm-hmm. and like he's not that kind of actor that can like meld into his role. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman stands out as Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he kind of. Is a better becomes, actor. He's a much yeah, better actor. Yeah. He becomes his role much better. Jimmy Fallon's just there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure uh, Jimmy Fallon was like hot off like Taxi at this point, or like I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah God. Or like he's probably he's still in SNL at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, um, I think I think he's okay here because he, the character is supposed to be this intrusive figure. Right, like he's supposed to be something that he's comes definitely in. that. Yeah. yeah, and he's supposed to be something comes in and disrupts the the natural yeah. uh, it, uh, environment, uh, habitat of man. And yeah, that's exactly what he does. Right, he comes along and he it looks weird. And it's like, oh, it's fucking Jimmy Fallon. What's he doing here? And he like feels almost anachronistic, and it, they kind of begin their downfall, such as it is because of him. Um, so I think it's find for that kind of casting decision with that kind of character right yeah when i was watching i was like hey it's jimmy kimmel i know it's not <laughs> i know it's not kimmel not kimmel i know it's for sure not kimmel but i could not put my name on it i did see his name yeah. in the opening credits yeah. so i was looking for him yeah, yeah. And well, was... i didn't have to look very hard <laughs> yeah on imdb he's like fifth build or something well, yeah build, i mean really I'm, I'm surprised that's high that that billy crudup hasn't had a bigger career Right, because I like him a lot in this movie. I mean, he's like a known actor. He's known, but, he, but he's not like I feel like he carry could be a, films. Yeah, I feel like he could be a bigger star or would be, um, and he's he's working and doing fine. But yeah. I, I expect him to be headlining things. Like he looks like a movie star. It's all Watchmen's fault. It, I maybe, he was sorted through a lot of the people in this film, and like everyone's like still working. Yeah, they're all like, doing fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and Cameron Crowe has he done anything recently? He did Aloha. Where he cast, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, no. Where oh, he, no. he cast Emma Stone as uh, as an age, or a Hawaiian girl. I saw that partially on a plane, and I, I skipped. It. it looked like a disaster. Yeah, nice. I, that's what I heard, and I, I skipped it. Yeah, because um, yeah, he's had some missteps after this movie, <sighs> which is a shame because he clearly can do it. Like this is a great movie. Um, but he did Fast Times. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're that's right. Like, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. He did, um, but. He did Elizabeth Town, which is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie. Um, he, and he did Aloha. And he did the like grunge movie before this movie too. Mm-hmm. It was like in betweeners or something. I think. It was yeah, like and he did some yeah. kind of Pearl Jam. Uh, that's yeah, the, oh, the grunge okay. movie. Is that okay? That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, where it's like Pearl Jam is like acting in the movie. Okay. And it's like <laughs> shot with like grunge people. Sure. And it's about like the grunge music scene. It's like his like build up to doing Almost Famous. Right. Oh, maybe yeah. that's what he needs to be doing. It's like maybe he makes mo- music movies well. And mm-hmm. he just kind of stick with that. He clearly, yeah. clearly loves it. He clearly loves it. I think, clearly yeah. And he, under- he like clearly like understands like 80s and 90s culture. So it's probably like about time that someone like dug into that a little more. Right. Because right. a lot of like our current moment like really relies on like a lot of events that like <laughs> happened in the 90s. So Yeah. Like dude, yeah. this is a this is an off topic, but I was super distracted this week when we were learning in real time that Army Hammer didn't know what the Iran Contra affair was. Yeah, it was so <laughs> he was, adorable. He was like posting on Twitter <laughs> about like Googling um, Oliver North and was like, wait a minute, this guy did what? <laughs> and he never went to jail? This yeah. is insane. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. how adorable. Right? And he's yeah. like, you know, 33 or something. Like, he's an adult and like, learning about the Iran-Contra affair for the first time, you know, now. Yeah. <laughs> in 2018. It's like, holy shit. Um, but yes, you're right. We need to have some of that stuff dramatized and placed into our, our movies. Yeah. Iran-Contra is a big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I think we dealt with this in the past, though, on, like, past things. I think what we were talking about Clueless, so just, like, it doesn't seem like the 90s have been, like, well-mined for yeah. mm-hmm. content. Yeah. It's just kind of like a lost decade. This is what Captain Marvel's for. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There it is. That, this is going to be our <laughs> I, I doubt great moment. Captain Marvel will be, like, a hard-hitting, like, <laughs> look at 90s what culture. What if it is? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but the 70s, uh, I think, have been, right? Like, the, the 70s... Uh, for, well, for this a, is, like, the turn of the 70s into the 80s, right? What? Where, like... 73 is when this movie... This, this is, like, oh, this is mid-70s, early mid-70s. Yeah, this is oh, supposed yeah. to be, like, the heart Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, which yeah. is why I think it's so great that, like, the first thing we get from Lester Banks is... Rock oh, and roll step. Rock and roll step. This is yeah. it. You're, you're in the death notes. You came at the wrong time, kid. You should go do something else. And bring it back to the 90s, right? 90s is when the rock and roll really died, right? So, <laughs> well, maybe. Like, yeah. I don't know about that. Um, so yeah. I think it, you look at all the great music that came after 1973, and there's a lot of it. Yeah, like, Michael Jackson. Like Michael Jackson, yeah. yes. Like, you know, all of punk, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think that... All the metal in the 80s. Yeah, all, so so much. So, so much. Um, grunge, right? Grunge. Um, and I think that that line plays pretty pretty funny um and that we see yeah. that kind of doomsday stuff constantly in music and film and you know the printed word and whatever um i, I think it that's cameron crow trying to put it in perspective a little bit right <laughs> yeah you're just you're never too early to call the death of something right right, yeah. right exactly and like there's going to be something else like people aren't just going to stop making music right like people aren't just going to stop you know, telling stories, right? Yeah, it's, this, it's such a human instinct. The reflection on this era is like the like the SoundCloud rapper movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> the so the, the six nine uh, bi- biopic. <laughs> yeah, like. exactly, exactly. Um, so speaking of the the music and that's film, a SoundCloud rapper. That's a real SoundCloud. Rapper. I believe you. He's a terrible person. I, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea who that is. You're you're hipper yeah. than I am, evidently. Um, do we have a favorite musical moment in this movie? Like, other than the really obvious one. Oh, when he gets electrified. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The main singer, like, grabs the mic and his guitar at the same time, <laughs> yeah, and he, like, gets electrified. Completes the circuit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess you can call that a musical moment. Um, I probably don't have a pick besides the obvious one, which I'm probably thinking of the same one you the are. The Tiny Dancer. Yeah, yeah which is great. Like, Did you guys, so I sent both of you a link to yeah. Dave Grohl performing Tiny Dancer on Craig Kilborn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> He's a funny guy. He uh, is funny. Yeah, yeah, like surprisingly, surprisingly funny, um, and consistently, but, and super yeah. talented too. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that tiny dancer moment in this movie is beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. piece of filmmaking. For reference to the audience, like Dave Grohl, like sort of endearingly does a performance of Tiny Dancer to the to a late on a late night show. Yeah. Craig Kilmarn, which yeah, everybody's forgotten. He says he about. learned about the song through Almost Famous. Yeah, right. and he's like trying to like recreate that moment like with the crowd. Right. And it, like that's a worthwhile yeah. moment to recreate. Because like yeah. the, the when it comes in the in the movie, the the it's, it's right after It's like the low point. Yeah, for the them movie. like yeah. as a as a community. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's the right after Russell has like gone off wandered off the farm gone and party with these real Topekans, gotten super high, and has to be like rescued by William and the and the lead singer, or the manager rather. And it it's so perfect for this film because it's they, they don't really die they don't talk about it, right? Like there's no those moments where like, oh I'm sorry guys that I that I did that. I'm sorry that I said XYZ. It's like what brought them together is their mutual love of music. And what brings them back together after they're pulled apart is again just this song. And all they have to do mm-hmm. is sing it together. A song that they all know that is great, and that's enough, yeah. right? Like that's what holds it together. And I think that it speaks to again what this movie is. It's not so much a movie about music; it's a movie about the love of music. Yeah. And that moment encapsulates that so crisply and yeah. so elegantly. Um, and and I love it. And I just like Elton John a lot. So that also helps. I'm remembering another musical moment that I like quite a bit. It's at the beginning when he's first discovering the records that his sister mm-hmm. gave him, and he flips through a bunch of them, and it's like a bunch of albums that I recognize. Yeah. And yeah. he like listens to them for the first time, and like you kind of see that spark um, in his in his eyes. Yeah. Right? You, you see, as as literally a life changing moment. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And yeah. That's a wonderful moment. It really conveys that passion for music so well, and I I love when movies can convey that feeling of passion like i know sideways did that really well and yeah. I, I loved the way sideways did that as well well and that that scene also calls to mind music as something that's passed down mm-hmm. right because it's not him going to a record store and buying a bunch of songs these are the albums his sister actually owned that she that were important to her mm-hmm. and led to her adventure that we never actually see but are aware of that she wants to share with him and it's 
it's music as a communal thing. And it's, it's again, music as something that's drawing people together. And I, I love that about it, that yeah. it's, it's something that it has a heritage, right, that has a, a background to it. Um, and right before that, we have another great moment with uh, when the Zoe Deschanel sister character is leaving and she says, oh, I have to play this song that will explain why I need to go. And it's America by, uh, by Simon and Garfunkel, which is so like, it's such a childish moment on the one hand, right? Like, it's like, oh, this is, this song really speaks to me and it explains everything that I'm Yeah, feeling. don't you get it? Like, yeah. But, like you share it with somebody else and you're like, don't you get it? Yeah, Of course, exactly. nobody gets it. Right. But it's also, again, such an honest moment because everybody has thought that everybody has felt that thing where it's like, this is the song that explaining exactly how I feel right now. And if everybody could just listen to this song, they would understand me completely. Mm -hmm. And that is so universal, right? And that it, it's such just, uh, uh, it speaks to the visceral experience that enjoying music is and yeah. the need to connect with others through it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and again, a great song. America is such a good song. Um, and I, I, I like that, that whole sequence there. Because that's right before the scene you were mentioning, Charles. And yeah. it works so so elegantly and so beautifully. One thing I like about that scene, and something I'm disappointed the rest of the movie didn't do as much, was they had a bit of playful cinematography throughout the beginning. Mm -hmm. and I felt like the movie just kind of stopped doing that and like went for more conventional scenes for the rest of it. Unless I'm like forgetting. But like there's the beginning part where you kind of get like a straight, very close shot um, of Zoe Deschanel and of uh, the young main character. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes you feel much closer to them because you're like Physically directly cool. interacting with them essentially. Um, and it's a very striking shot because like, you know, they don't, they don't do that kind of shot too often in movies, right? And so it really like, it's kind of jarring, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and they had like some playful shots of the records, like when he's first putting down the first record that he's going to play. And Tommy. I think that was like an interesting shot of that. Um, but then the rest of the movie seems to be a bit more conventional looking. I wish they were more playful with it. Yeah, I think I can remember at least a handful of shots from later in the film that I found memorable. Um, the one is when he when Pe he's looking for Penny in the cabs in New York, and like you get this gradual pull out, isolating him in the street, and he, he's lost her, right? And it's this low moment for him. And the other one is when Penny is dancing alone in that gym, and it looks like it's like the end of the party and the music is still playing and like that and it's just such a full shot like there's so much going on even though there's only a single person because you mm -hmm. have all these i don't know streamers or whatever falling from the ceiling and there's the floor is strewn with this red cloth everywhere like there's it's, for me there's memorable shots throughout okay like i i can i can pull uh some good moments uh, from this movie but yeah yeah liked it a lot in my rewatch good Good. Tell me, when's the last time you'd seen it prior to this? Probably since college. Oh, really? Okay. I think I saw it a couple years ago, and I liked it then, too. Um, I watched this movie semi-regularly, um, because, yeah, it's just a joy. It is a joy every time. Yeah, the only thing that, like, gave me pause is, like, oh, it's like a mood music. Like, I just didn't know if it was going to, like, hold up. Yeah. Because, like, I really liked it in college. And I was right. Like, um, what I was afraid yeah. would happen yeah. is this is a pre-9-11 movie. It is. Right. Very much so. And the other movie that I think is in the popular consciousness that people like a lot that is a really, really pre-9-11 movie is uh, American Beauty, which does not hold up. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that in a minute. Don't, I don't recommend it. Have you seen no, Carlson? I've never seen it. Okay, yeah. It's, it's very obviously a movie that was made during a time when the economy is doing pretty well, when you can wander into any business and get a job immediately, and like people are desperate to like find a problem. And so when it's this guy who has like a pretty comfortable life and is doing okay, you know, that sabotages his life afterwards, it doesn't feel sympathetic at all because like there's clearly a much bigger problems coming down the line and we know that now. And it's like a very self-serious version of Office Space. It is. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And Office Space like does that same message much better. Right, right. Well, because it seems like it shows guys, like where the real problem is. Yeah, they have something to complain about. Yeah. Right? Like the, the character in American Beauty doesn't. Yeah. I think that this movie benefits or that um almost famous benefits because it's a period piece. So we don't we don't have to worry about that. It's not actually taking place during two thousand. And it's not about it, it, it's not really a mournful movie in any sense. Like I think yeah. it would be easy for this movie to be about, oh look at what rock and roll was. 
And it's not that, right? It's about like, look at the joy that music always is and look at how we can pass down this legacy of the music that I, Cameron Crowe, like to the people that are watching this movie in 2000 and they're going to take their music and they're going to pass it on to the people that they like. And it, it feels like a movie that is about, you know, sharing and, you know, bringing together people through what you love rather than American Beauty, which is about finding something to whine about. <laughs> that's, you know, less interesting. Um, so I think that the, I think in that way it feels it survives 9/11 in a way, um, and we all benefit from it, right? Because it, it is just such a community-based and uh, loving movie. So yeah, the the era matters, but it transcends it in, in a sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Everything is like media is just so much darker after 9/11. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Predictably. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of... Or it's like Transformers. like <laughs> Right, which is dark in a different way, right? Where it's... it's well, it's the, like very militaristic. Right. And yeah. so depending on your perspective, that it, there's something very dark about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, any uh, any finishing thoughts on, uh, on Almost Famous? Um, it kind of reminded me of a cross between Boogie Nights and yeah. Spinal Tap. Yes, I see it's that. It's basically a cross between those that's, two. That's a good explanation for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Boogie Nights also had a lot of the 70s music as well, because I think it started in the 70s and went into the 80s or something like that. Yes. So it had this similar feel to it, the same kind of visual style, because it's from the same era. Um, but it had a similar thing about like people kind of developing a surrogate family of sorts um, and like being honest with each other and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. Yeah, just well, I mean, another in just like a career of these small, like you know, two to four day roles that steal a movie, right? Like we yeah. saw it, we, this one, we saw it in uh, Big Lebowski. You see it in Boogie Nights, right? Yeah. Where he yeah. just takes these small parts and makes so much hay out of them just every time. R.I.P. Was that R.I.P. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think you're right. The Boogie Nights comparison is apt, and also that Boogie Nights leans so heavily on its soundtrack as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Yeah, uh, and obviously Spinal Tap because they're a band and they're touring and stuff happens and like the, the T-shirt scene kind of reminded me of when <laughs> yeah. they were arguing over the album cover yeah. in Spinal Tap. Yeah, that was like the Spinal Tap moment in the movie. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right. And I like that the the manager has that moment where he like sees the T-shirts for the first time and he like tries to put on the show about oh this was a mistake we're gonna send them back <laughs> you know you guys don't worry about this I got this handled yeah, <laughs> right yeah. like it's, it's clearly it. clearly his fuck up and he knows it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but it, it's ironic for me because you 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 glowingly talk about how loving the movie is, and mm-hmm. I thought maybe the movie was a little too loving because it never feels like there's enough conflict that it felt interesting to me. Like but, it felt like mm-hmm. to me that it was supposed to go to some kind of boiling point, and it never really got there. No, I th- I think that the con- well the conflict comes from the inner band. There's, I think there's all sorts of little conflicts throughout the movie. Yeah. Right? So like the the inner band conflict matters. The the conflict between uh, William and his his mother matters. There's the the broader just adventure of compl- successfully completing this tour and like getting yeah. from point A well, to point B, which is a challenge numerous times. I also think like part of the reason the movie's like kind of charming is that like the stakes are not very high. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think the movie's like trying to do that. Right. Like, it's fine for it to it's just like be this story. Here's like 14 days. Mm-hmm. This is like what happened during those days. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the movie's like trying to get across. Right. And the, yeah. the stakes are really high for William because these are life changing days. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's, I think, what makes it such a great coming of age story is that it can take the transition from adolescence to teenager or from, from teenager to, you know, very young adult, whatever, and condense it into this this two-week period that that feels so earned and feels mm-hmm. so honest like his his evolution over that time makes a lot of sense to me right and so in that sense i don't think you need a big throwdown moment right like the 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 big moment is as people gradually come together and learn that you know just being honest and sincere is is really important even mm-hmm. if that's dorky and 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 dopey and and not cool not cool. Um, I, I think that that's the the conflict of the movie, like these the, the people coming to terms with that concept yeah. that it, there's bigger things than being cool, <laughs> and that's that's heartwarming to me. 
Yeah, I love that a lot. What about you, Crossman? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I like the movie. It's, it's eminently watchable. Um, it's not like one of my favorite movies, but I think it's good. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a feel-good movie. Yeah, yeah, very much. But it's like a thoughtful, well-executed feel-good movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, we'll be back in a minute with things we've seen. We'll see you then. And we're back with things we've seen. Charles is going first today. Charles, tell us what you've seen. Okay. So last weekend, Wilson and I went up and saw Aliens at the United. Yes, Aliens. <laughs> um, and it is a movie that I've seen before, but I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it back in college. So this is my second time watching it. Um, and I was a little worried that it somehow wouldn't hold up or that like with my having seen a lot of action movies since then, uh, that my opinion of it might have changed somehow. But it definitely held up and it really reminded me why I loved it so much the first time I saw it because um, it's just such an awesome movie. I really love that like 80s sci-fi aesthetic um, that the movie has. Um, one thing I'd sort of forgotten and like people talk about it all the time so I didn't really forget but I'd sort of forgotten uh, Sigour- how good Sigourney Weaver's performance was so in this. Good. <laughs> um, yeah. Like her character was so incredible all the way through, and she tears it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, apparently, she got an Oscar nomination for her role. I didn't know that. They said that in the pre-show. Oh. and you never hear about sci-fi movies getting that many Oscar nominations, especially just, acting. Especially, no, yeah, especially an acting yeah. one for like an action movie like this, and <laughs> it seemed well earned. Because um, yeah, from my memory of the movie, I was too busy remembering all the sweet action scenes. There are many. <laughs> uh, of which there are many, and I forgot just how good her character and her performance was. Um, um, so that was great. Yeah, I had a blast, because we both went, um, yeah. and I had a blast. It was great. Uh, just I'd never seen it on a big screen before. The, the audience was super into it. Yeah, like, it it's was, always a great feeling when you're, yeah. you're around people who like, love the movie and they're cheering at the sweet moments. Right. I, I love that film, but I've never seen it on a big screen. Yeah, and this was like a big screen, too. Like they, yeah. This, yeah. this isn't like IFC or something. Like They had a really big screen. Um, it's and, a beautiful movie. I mean, it's very dark and drab, but mm-hmm. it's got a great look to it. It's very well shot. Yeah, very loyal to the, the first one, right? Like, because that movie had a look that was almost like unique to that movie at the time. Yeah, and yeah. like they capture that again really well. Everything yeah. feels so like <clears throat> tangible in that film. Like, yes, like the, the everything is like a grimy way to sci-fi it. look. Yeah, is one of my favorites. It's so good. It's like one of you know obviously a trillion reasons why I love the original Star Wars trilogy is that very lived-in feel that the universe has. Yeah, and the, yeah, this one has the, has the same thing. Um, what I liked about Sigourney Weaver's performance so much is how well she drew out the trauma of this character, right? Like, yeah. I, I think it'd be easy to have her just, like, be the one that's in charge or the one that's, like, confident or experienced or whatever, but she's not just that, right? right. Like, she's all those things, but she's also clearly suffering from PTSD. Right, because of the events of the first, I mean, yeah. she, the first movie. She saw some fucked up shit. Exactly. And like she's clearly struggling with that. And you, she doesn't get that many lines in service of that part of her character. But it's still crystal clear in her performance that that's what's going on. <laughs> she's yeah, exactly. like really traumatized by what, what happened earlier. And that it, it, it gives us connection to the earlier movie as well. But just adds this whole other dimension to the character. It's yeah. it's such an eighties movie too because the bad guy is a company yes. and like the company yeah. guy. Um, oh my god, he's hilariously in- evil. That's also <laughs> yeah. something else I forgot. Just how so well by Paul Reiser. Yeah, he, the yeah. entire movie is always talking about how these things are worth millions of dollars, and so we can't <laughs> yeah. risk them. Like, <laughs> it's like they're going to destroy the universe. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's a big bonus if we bring two of these guys back alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. And then the crowd like cheered the loudest when he got killed. Right. Yeah, there was a a big cheer. Yeah, it was so good. Um, (laughs) The the child actor is really good too. Yeah. The one playing Newt, like, yes, not great, not irritating. She was not in like any other movie too. I think it's like her only acting. She's great. She should be in better movies. Yeah, and that that Um, speaks to to good directing. uh, Yeah. From from Cameron or from uh, really Scott rather, and um, yeah, like that. That performance was really strong. Just a, just a all his performances movie. are great. The guy that plays the kind of leader of the Marines, mm-hmm. um, the Not one that's always like smoking uh, <laughs> cigar. Yeah, that's it. That and was maybe he gets the, like <laughs> the greatest visual joke in the yeah. movie is that they crack open 
They're like the hibernation pods. They're hibernation pods, and the first thing this dude does is grab a giant fucking cigar yep. and yeah. stick that it in great. his mouth. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we've really defined a lot about this guy right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. I really like the fake out ending that mm-hmm. they had because they like make it back onto their mothership and they have the happy music playing. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Bishop, you did a great job. And I trust you now. And just yeah. immediately yeah. he gets fucking gored right through the middle yeah. out of nowhere. Like, I knew it was coming. Um, but I'd sort of forgotten the order in which things had happened. Yeah. And by that point, I'm like, all right, she hasn't gone into the power loader yet, so something's about Me, to happen, yeah. right? But it was still, like, cool to remember that that they did it that way. And then I remembered Alien Covenant, which did this exact same sort of fake-out, but much worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's good to see it done well here. Right, well, and it's, it's such, obviously, a, a good companion to Alien, but, like, thematically a good companion to Alien, too, because... Like Alien is about like the the more explicitly the evils of the the corporation, right? And like this large organization. Whereas Alien this movie, is also Jaws, like what, say it again? It's Jaws. Yeah. Like, just yeah. in space. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um and, and this one is is much more military focused, right? Like that she's it's not a private yeah, it's, you it's, know, like a, it's like a Vietnam story. Yes, it's very much a Nam movie, right? Like that these guys are coming in, they're ready to kick ass, they're ready to just like be the dude with the big gun and take over and wipe them yeah, out. Yeah, we're to kick their asses. And immediately, immediately, as soon as they get into this unfamiliar territory, it all falls apart. I, I think their aesthetic is supposed to look like kind of Vietnam Marines. Because like yes. their armor, like, you know, it's kind of <clears> sparse. It's look, it looks like they're ready for hot weather and mm-hmm. they've got the same kind of machine guns. Like the, the big machine guns look like the ones that we actually used in the Vietnam era. Yes, yeah, it's very, it, it draws on so much American machismo and Cameron had said yeah. that too okay. about it. Yeah, and yeah. it's true. Yeah, it's it's crystal clear. There, there's like a it. part where they're like, oh, they're just animals. How could they figure out how to get through the doors or something like that? Right. And it's they, like just verbatim, like kind of how American Marines were. Yes, and how they talked about the Viet Cong and how and how they referred to them as rice farmers and stuff like that over yeah. and over again. You see that stuff, and I, I miss that in our genre films, right? Like I feel like. So rarely will we get that kind of thematic clarity from. They, they strip from away Ghana. any of that depth and just show the action these but, days. Yeah. The movie is so. Uh, it like it, it translates the like the fog of war so well too. Like uh, yeah. because they're in this like very like dizzying industrial complex, which I, I think is the same complex that they used to shoot the uh, first Batman in. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. That it's actually been used a lot. It's like a old power plant that they just. It's in England somewhere, and huh. they've shot like tons of stuff on it. Okay, um, so it's one of like many films that have been shot on it. But they they shoot this space so well that because mm-hmm. you really you show like they have this like really overwhelming technology, and it just becomes useless as soon as they like enter this space because yeah. right. it's not like it's kind of like moving from like the. Uh, sort of civil war era where you're just like standing up and shooting at each other to you know more like guerrilla tactics that, that yeah. come after the yeah, civil war exactly. which actually yeah. did it, there were guerrilla tactics during the civil war in kentucky a lot of <laughs> and they were very effective yes. because it yeah because yeah that was in, the, in this movie like plan <laughs> yeah this movie like does like translates that really well to screen yes exactly um yeah. and i think you see you see similar themes play out in predator Right, like, like this idea of your you entering a strange space and your tools not not working anymore. Yeah, you see it in two thousand one. Right, the, mm-hmm. the, those same theme, themes have drawn out, um, and it's an interesting idea and an important idea that uh, yeah. a lesson a lot of us haven't learned. Yeah, yeah. the man, the effects in that in this film are so good too. The yeah, the alien queen puppet is just. Stunning, incredible. Yeah, it's great. Incredible, yeah. so much better than yeah. the, the alien, alien, right? Like the the difference between oh, the two yeah. films. They also the learned a lesson because like you don't see any of the aliens except the queen for more than like a split second because yeah. usually it's dark and you only see them lit by the muzzle flash for like not even a second, like a half second. Yeah. They right? also like they trained all the like dancers to act as the aliens, so they're doing like very acrobatic things. Yeah, and so the movements are just like. Incredible. Yeah, and right. so believable. So there's, there's no jazz hand scenes. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. no jazz hand scenes. Yeah. yeah. And no big awkward uh, rubber suits or anything like that. Right? Like and, it, yeah. and the scale of the threat changes constantly, too, because yeah. they have the, like, the face hugger, which right. is like very like classic horror. And the, yeah, oh, such a good yeah. film. And like, I love yeah. the tension that pervades the whole movie as soon mm-hmm. as they enter the complex. Because you know they the don't show the alien forever. Yeah. Because right. at this point, like, 
Yeah. If you've seen the first movie, you're like, okay, like alien any time now. And <laughs> right. they wait, they wait so long. But yeah. they and get then it you just all goes to hell. The entire like, time they're walking yeah. through, you know that the aliens are literally yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. so they're surrounded as soon as they enter the complex. And so you're like, holy shit, when are they going to attack? When yeah. is this going to happen? Yeah, because they, they have that little radar on their guns. And, and yeah. it's, uh, like throughout the movie, they're saying, oh, they're such right there. A, they're going to be here any minute. Such a great so way to build tension. So good. And yeah. then when they're in the ceiling yes like they should be right here where are yeah. they what's going on yeah uh, i wish i could go into the, the film cold to yeah to like have that experience again because like when you know everything's yeah. coming it's not as like it's not the same it's not as good yeah. um at least for me it had been long enough that i don't remember exactly which action yeah. scene was when so i could kind of yeah i forgot be surprised a, a little i forgot bit. a lot of it uh, <laughs> a lot of it um i've but, seen the film so much so yeah I, okay i just i know like all the beats to it right uh, and, and we would be remiss um to not mention the the venue that we saw it in because oh, yeah. we, we charles and i saw it at this pres, this preserved theater that's up in like morningside heights like way up there in like washington the 190s heights. or it was 170 it was on 170 damn okay yeah uh, yeah it was washington heights but it was uptown up <laughs> and it's it was a beautiful beautiful structure like yeah. it was it, clearly this theater was probably built in like the 30s or 40s or something yeah and they have they have preserved it really well. It's this giant room Stunning. that the actual screen is in. You know, tons of seating, like all of the original molding on the walls and yeah. everything. Just a great, great place to watch a movie or just be. <laughs> like it was, it was, uh, it was extraordinary. Yeah, and they do they do events on occasion, so I'm I'm gonna like keep paying attention to that. Yeah, and the regular like the the ticket was super cheap. It was like yeah. five bucks or something. And um like they they're showing on the waterfront there or they just did. Like they have a regular uh regular rotation. Um but yeah great the United Palace I think it was called. Yeah. Uh up on one seventy. United Palace of Culture or something like yeah, that. Up yeah. on one seventy. Uh but yeah. What did you see this week Crossman? Anything good? Uh we we're gonna have to Get into alien. This is a good aliens discussion. This is a good, uh, okay, yeah. I, I saw a stupid movie. So I listened to a lot of podcasts about bad movies. Yes, One of the do. films that I saw this week was a film called Beautiful Creatures, which is a Twilight knockoff from like 2013. Oh fuck, I remember this movie. <laughs> yes, um, it's it's pretty bad. Okay, um, it's funny. Um, the set design and costume design is surprisingly incredible. Um, okay, and the movie's just a totally boring knockoff of twilight was which is like not a good that, was it the spoof of twilight or was it one no 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 it's 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 sincere? it's a, it's a sincere take at trying to launch a new twilight series and it just did not <laughs> come together there's like very low stakes to the film <laughs> and instead of vampires it's it's witches but they Whatever. seem to abide by vampire rules in some cases where they like <laughs> oh. they can't an- enter houses without being invited yeah, and sure. like yeah, um, it's bad. Don't don't watch it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, in that case, we'll stick with the yeah. um, the aliens discussion. Uh, Crossman, I guess yeah. you have the next pick. Yes. Uh, what are we watching? Uh, so I would like to watch uh, the Raid Redemption. Okay, I would also like to watch that. Yeah, um, it <laughs> might be a challenging movie to talk about for forty five minutes, but. It's a really good film. It is so good. Yeah, it's and we, perfect yeah. timing because we got tickets to Dread next week. Yeah, I thought it was well timed for that. So okay, we, and we've we've brought yeah. it up many times, so it feels appropriate to, to 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 finally watch it. Yeah, I think it's important to modern action. Films. It is like it, yeah. John Wick level important to modern action films. I, I think John Wick is in, well. We can get into it. Yes, we can. That, yeah. that will uh, be so the it's the Raid Redemption. It's a 2011 version, not the American remake. Right. Um. So. To watch it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, uh, please tell people about it. Please share it. Please comment. Um, And come back next week for The Raid Redemption.